All right, good morning. I'd like to point out that there are sermon notes on the side tables if you need one. If you need a Bible, Bibles are in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't have one, take it with you, please. Uh, we also have a, uh, the, the sermon notes are also available on version. I'm going to screw this up, but if you don't have it, you can download the app, click on more, then events, and then it'll come up in your phone by GPS. Okay, I think I said that right. So when you guys are all chit-chatting, I uh, just wanted to mention, uh, I hope everybody's prepared to be lectured about the government by a guy wearing a pink flamingo shirt for the next 30 minutes or so. But welcome, welcome to Element. This is uh, week eight of our series we're calling Never Read a Bible Verse, uh, which is, you know, I can't believe it's only week eight. I've got friends who are in like week 1,000 of never reading any Bible verses. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh, we're, it's about reading your Bible in context. We want, it to, want you to read it in context. So today's message, um, I, I just know, is going to hit hard for all of us uh, because it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on, we all feel like the government oversteps its bounds uh, and, and recently has overstepped its bounds in a lot of ways. So today we're going to deal with Romans chapter 13, verse 1. And in honor of Aaron's birthday, the government has sent me here to California to preach today's sermon. So stand with me for the reading of God's word. Romans 13.1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Let's pray. Father God, um, we, we just thank you for this opportunity to come before you and learn about a, a topic that, uh, that we all feel pretty deeply. Um, we all live under authorities, we all live under a government, uh, and we know that you have a, a way that, that Christians and Christ followers in your kingdom is supposed to spread and flourish within the bounds of governments and authorities that you institute. Help us understand that a little bit better this morning. Amen. Have a seat. So what's the first thought that pops into your mind when somebody says, I'm from the government and I'm here to help? Uh, no, not we're in church, please. <laughs> so if that gives you a mild aneurysm, congratulations, you are American. But I, I struggle to think of a more unifying expression of the American, experit, uh, ex American spirit than our universal distrust for our government, or any government for that matter. I don't know if you watched the uh, Canadian trucker convoy last year, but I think we got more upset about that than the Canadians did. The truckers are like, pipe down, guys. Uh, but Paul's words in Romans 13 are not just for us, they're for the whole world. But we need to be honest about our universal distrust as Americans for our government. In fact, the foundational legal document, the Declaration of Independence, that foundation of our republic, is in itself a repudiation of government. So here's how much we loathe government. <clears throat> the unanimous declaration of the 13 states of America, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with, with another and assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. So that's something we all remember from school, but let's be honest, we tend to overlook the obvious religious tones and themes and language that our founders used. An appeal to heaven is pretty dramatic. 
especially for a people who talk about the separation of church and state pretty regularly. We Americans have a strangely religious uh, relationship with our government. Every year we treat the government a little more like God. So please open to Romans uh, 13 in your Element Bibles, that's page 161, or so I am told. So Romans 13.1, once again, you're going to hear this a bunch this morning, I promise you. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So when we read this, if you're like me, uh, the, your first thought goes to the negative. Yeah, but what about Hitler, man? Yeah, what, about, what about Hitler? What about Kim Jong-un? What about Putin? We will talk about all that, <laughs> but I simply need you to track with me because Aaron gave us uh, guest speakers through the summer freedom to pick our own topics, and I chose the government, uh, and appropriately so. Uh, I'm more than qualified to talk about the government. Nearly every aspect of my life uh, is steeped in government. I've been a government employee for 25 years. Uh, the government paid for my education. I was even birthed in an Air Force hospital in a government-funded facility. So like it or not, I am actually from the government. <laughs> and I'm here to help. <laughs> so specifically speaking about America, did you know that our founding documents, on one hand you have the Declaration of Independence, that asserts that our, our rights are based on natural law. Natural law is a legal term meaning legally given by God. They are God-given rights. It's, it's not inappropriate to say that. They are God-given rights. What rights? Any rights that a deity can bestow upon man. Those are our, our rights. Now, compare that to the Constitution. The Constitution is quite literally at odds with the Declaration of Independence. The first 10 amendments of the Constitution are called the Bill of Rights, and ironically so, given that we left England because they infringed on our rights, and ironic in that by listing rights, by implication, you don't have all the rights. If you have to enumerate them, you don't have all the rights, and you end up making up rights. So Romans 13.1, why are we as Americans and Christians so uncomfortable with this verse? Let every person be subject to the ruling authorities. So most of us have this knee-jerk reaction. Nuh-uh. Right? Well, that's where I'm at. Um, but I am told that there are some Christians that are like, see, see, the government. They're good. They're good. Rule me harder, please. But being a good Christian doesn't make you a good American. Any more than being a good American makes you a good Christian, Republicans. But bad news, it gets so much worse. In the seven verses where Paul deals with this topic, he doesn't say the government once. He's talking about anyone who God has put in authority over us as Christians. Your government, your boss, your parents, even your pastor. So it's probably appropriate at this point to get caught up on the full section of, of scripture that I'm going to talk with and get a little more clarity on this topic. So we're gonna read verses one through seven. Again. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? 
then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are, are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay all to what, what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes is owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. And at this point, I have to admit, I'm glad I didn't get verse 4, so I don't have to explain why all leaders are men. They're not. Don't get distracted. <laughs> In fact, uh, the highest ranking person out at the base is a two-star general, G General Deanna Burt, a woman. <laughs> so admittedly, these verses do have a strong government bent. And while there's an application to the general authority, I've already given it away, I'm going to focus on the government topic today. But it's important that we look at the purpose and the occasion of why Paul wrote this. Romans was written on Paul's third missionary journey in 57 AD toward the end of his life. It was written to a Gentile audience in the Roman capital city. And we know this because in Acts it tells us that the Emperor Claudius had kicked all, of the, Christ or all, the, all the Jews out of the city 15 years earlier. These are citizens of Rome. These are people that were raised in the Roman pagan system, in a system, in a city, in an age that the prophet Daniel calls one of the most brutal uh, in empires in antiquity, which puts it in the running for the most brutal of all time. The Pax Romana, as you know, means the Roman peace, meaning you were conquered, you submitted, or you were killed. So that's how they instituted peace. That is the backdrop of Paul's systematic theology Romans. Okay? Keep that in mind. Now, there are a few key themes that emerge from those seven verses that I just read. First, verse 1, there is no authority apart from God. We have to realize that. There is no authority apart from God. We are under that authority. Our rulers are under that authority and accountable to it. Verse 2, anyone who resists God's authority resists God. Verse 3, do good, and God's authority, his appointed authority, will approve of you. Verse 4, anyone who has authority is God's, or the one who has authority, I should say, is God's avenger. Verse 5, be subject to the authority and avoid God's wrath. Verse 6 and 7, pay taxes, pay revenue, pay respect, and pay honor to whom it is owed. Or as Jesus said, said on, the temple, on the temple mount, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, render unto God the things that are God's. Now, when you diagram the verses, as I just did, I see two overarching themes. The only legitimate authority is God. And human authority is only legitimate when it is appointed by God. Only legitimate authority is God. Human authority is only legitimate when it is appointed by God. So you're probably wondering right now, so I'll just address it. How do we know if an authority appointed over us is from God? Well. Maybe not a perfect answer, but what I was able to come up with was, since we know that God works all things for those who love him for our good, for those who are called according to his purposes, we should assume that the authority appointed over us is from God until he removes it. That's about as good as we can get. We have to play the, the hand we are dealt and serve in, in the way that, that we find is best and most God-honoring while there's an authority over us. So let's look closely at point one. 
the only legitimate authority is God. So a few weeks back, uh, you'll remember Aaron said that the, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. So the time, the place, the audience of Romans elevates the importance of Romans 13.1, specifically because the brutality and the sin of the Roman government. That puts us in an awkward spot as Christians because it's easy to agree with Romans 1.1 when everything's hunky-dory and a ruler is obviously acting in a way that honors God. But how can we agree with, much less submit to that authority when it's at odds with God's law? So here's some truth. No government on earth honors God. Can we agree on that? No, no government on earth honors God. Not even the one that claims to be a Christian theocracy, Vatican City. Yet Paul, without exception, claims that everybody from Nero, his king, uh, to George Washington, to Hitler, to Joe Biden, are not only authorities, but his ministers, and they are ultimately servants of his providential will, whether they realize it or not. So Jeremiah chapter 5, God himself calls the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. What was the service that Nebuchadnezzar rendered? Destroy Jerusalem and take Israel captive. Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. At this point, we need to admit that none of us know the mind of God. I think it's pretty clear uh, with the controversies that surround you know, these verses. Isaiah 40, 13 through 15 reminds us of this fact. It says, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and whom did he made, make understand? Or, and who made him understand, rather? Sorry. Uh, who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? These are all rhetorical questions, by the way. When God uses any sinful man to accomplish his purpose, we just have to be comfortable with the fact that we probably won't understand the program that God is working until it's over. The word minister in this sense that's used in Romans 13 means administrators, right? They are there to administer a plan, a plan that sets the conditions through which the gospel is to reach all of God's elect, okay? Not for our happiness, not for our joy, not to make us wealthy, but to reach the world for the with the gospel. Now, admittedly, admittedly, the administration of that plan is sometimes brutal. But as brutal as the Romans were, they built roads, they built ports, they built public squares, and they enforced order. And all of those things enabled the gospel to expand rapidly at just the right time in history. Now, our conundrum with Romans 13.1 goes deeper than just righteous disagreement with our crummy government. People have a disordered relationship with government and with governing authorities, a relationship that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When given the chance to be governed by God or be like God and govern ourselves, what did we choose? We chose to govern ourselves. And the sad fact is, the human heart is ungovernable by anybody but God himself. So this is why we have a dysfunctional relationship with our government and any government for that matter, because we sometimes, I'd say more than we care to admit, expect them to fulfill every purpose in our lives that God should fulfill. Daniel Patrick Moynihan, former US Senator from New York, famously said, you are entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts. We tend to get grumpy with God when we misread Romans 13.1, focusing on the fact that God has put sinful leaders over us, when the fact is that any human ruler is sinful, just as we are all sinful. And that's not the point of Romans 13.1 at all. 
So what does Paul call those appointed rulers in our lives, the appointed authorities in our lives? Well, he calls them ministers. And it's not our job to serve and worship the government. But the minister's job, vis-a-vis -vis the government's job, is to serve God by serving us. And just like your minister, Aaron Carlberg, cannot meet all of your spiritual needs, the government can't meet all of your other needs and isn't supposed to. That's God's job. But what the government can and will do under the divine guidance of God is set the conditions for the gospel to thrive where his disciples are sent. He sent his disciple Paul to Rome. He sent Dietrich Bonhoeffer to Nazi Germany. Now, he might send all of us to Club Med, but I doubt it. So Moynihan's right, we have a facts problem. The specific fact is that we don't serve an earthly government, okay? It's their job to serve us, we're not to serve them. But we do serve an eternal heavenly king whose name is Jesus. And he has set the, the government to set the conditions for us. So this is why you and I need to be literate in the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom teaches us that Jesus is the literal king of all creation. And that everyone who is called by his name in salvation is an eternal citizen of that kingdom. He is ruling and reigning right now. And he must reign until he has defeated every enemy, the last enemy being death itself. And at that time, he will deliver this kingdom as a gift to his Father in heaven. That's the gospel of the kingdom. That's what all of this is about. This is why you're called into salvation, to be part of this restoration. Ephesians 1 uh, tells us that teach, uh, teaches us that when... He raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, us, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So is it possible? Is it possible that we have been enlightened to the fact that Jesus is king, reigning now, and we are subject to that authority. Is that what's grating at us? Paul doesn't use future tense in this verse. He says, God has put all things under Christ's authority. This is not a metaphor. This is very literal, what he is saying. Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And Jesus took it a step further when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth, that's everywhere, has been given to me. So once again, the two themes of Romans 13, 1. The only legitimate authority is God, and human authority is only legitimate when appointed by God. Once you understand the gospel of the kingdom, you can never read the Bible the same way again. It's like, do you remember back in the 90s, in the mall, those hidden pictures? You know, you go up and you, we stare at them for 15 minutes while somebody's getting a pretzel, and eventually, if you cross your eyes just right, you can see the picture. But once you see it, you can never unsee it, right? It may have taken you weeks before you saw it the first time, but once you see it, you can never unsee it. That's kind of like the gospel of the kingdom. Once you see it, that's all you'll see in scripture. So Jesus explained the hidden things about the kingdom of heaven in 30 different parables during his ministry. And parables usually start with the familiar phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. Maybe it's like a sower or two sons or a mustard seed or talents, or a merchant searching for pearls. So in a way, the parables 
about the kingdom of heaven are our declaration as Christ followers, our declaration of independence as citizens of heaven saved by grace from a world that is enslaved to sin. In fact, we are no longer slaves to sin, but it's the rulers of the world who are servants of the living God. And we are servants to do his will within these systems that he's set up. And we get to be part of Jesus' work to bring about the full expression of his kingdom that he will one day, one day deliver to his Father in heaven. So Jesus declares that the kingdom will start small and fill the earth, that the citizens of the kingdom will grow up among those who are not citizens, that we will be known by the fruit of our salvation that is evident in our works, that citizens must, for, for, must forgive because we have been forgiven the greatest debt by Jesus, that the least in the kingdom will be the greatest, and that God rewards those he sees fit, that we do, as we do to the least in the kingdom, we do unto the king, that God calls his citizens to repentance, not religion, and that the kingdom is for those who bear fruit of their salvation. Many are called into the kingdom, but few are chosen. To everyone who has received the kingdom, even more will be given, but to those who haven't, all will be taken away. Every, every citizen must stand ready for the return of the king, and probably my favorite, that the king loved us so much that he sold everything he had, surrendering his own life in order to establish his kingdom. So point two, human authority is only legitimate when appointed by God. So by looking at the Bible in context, we start to get a, a, re, a picture of why Romans th 13 is so beautiful, but at the same time extremely frustrating. Because we serve the king, king of heaven, and we are his citizens of this, king, of this kingdom of heaven, and we're not subjects to our government. But our king appoints ministers to have authority over his people in order to accomplish his purpose in the world. So in light of what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, he gives us, the citizens, some insight when he commands us to make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, and teach them to obey his commands. The commands that sum up the law. Love God and love others. So it makes me wonder if our righteous frustration with, with our government belies the real problem. If Jesus said and taught and steered us towards being restored image bearers, we have to ask ourselves if we, the church in America, are sitting on the sidelines, not taking the Great Commission seriously. No life in the Bible more than Paul's typifies God's appointed, uh, God appointing a minister to serve in a cruel system. He conducted his three missionary journeys walking on Roman roads through an empire connecting the known world under one government banner. He traveled to Rome on a Roman ship in chains as a prisoner of Caesar. He preached the gospel in the highest echelons of government because he was a Roman citizen. And he saw many people, even in Caesar's own household, saved while on house arrest. And none of those things would have been possible if Caesar wasn't the tyrant that he was. So what I'm about to say comes from a place of per personal witness and testimony. This is my story. Um, and I won't go into great specifics here, but I've always found it difficult to be an evangelist. I can't imagine having the boldness to uh, stand on the street corner in the public square in the forum like Paul did and preach. But countless times, even as recently as last week, uh, when I live out the principles of honoring the authorities that God has sent in my life, particularly in the context 
of my workplace, when I work hard and, and, and serve the, those authorities by, by doing the work that has been given to me, God consistently opens doors for me to give the gospel. I, too many times to count at this point. I'm able to give the, the gospel to people I lead, to my peers and even to my leaders, which those of you who have served in the military knows is pretty precarious ground, but God makes, God makes that path. When I was stationed in the UK, he even opened a door for me to essentially serve as the base chaplain and minister to the entire base. And all of that was made possible through the context of serving my appointed leaders at work. God can and will use a willing and obedient heart to build his kingdom through you in your home, your place of work, and your communities. And it might not come the way you expect. It might come through obedient service to the leaders that God has appointed over us and waiting on God's timing. You and I might, might not live the spectacular life that Paul did, but we all have authorities uh, in our lives, which means we all have opportunity unique to each individual here to serve God. And we can be confident that all legitimate authority is from God. And we can expect, I think rightly so, that God will use that authority in our lives to accomplish exactly what he said he would do in Romans 13. When we pay taxes and revenue and honor and respect, we're not doing those things to sinful man. Let's be clear, we're honoring God. Everywhere we look, there are things to worry about. There is injustice and violence on every news channel. We were just joking outside that it's not really news, but uh, there's a lot of bad news that comes at you all day, every day, and we can despair about that. But in the midst of all, all this is the reality that God's not bringing this world to destruction. He's bringing it to restoration, and we have a part to play in that plan. Now, Aaron encouraged me, said, come up with a big picture. So I'm just going to force it in there. But here's, here's what I want you to take away uh, from today's sermon. Please remember this. We don't need to live a life of worry and fear and doubt because our government rejects God. And they do. You know, sinners are going to sin. But we have hope above all people because we are citizens of God's kingdom, a kingdom that will bring restoration through the gospel to the whole of creation. So much so that our King Jesus will see fit to gladly deliver it to his Father as a gift. So Romans 13, in the context of the kingdom, reveals something special about God's plan to restore all things. It says that even, even the sinful institutions of man are subject to him. He will fill every one of those institutions with Christ followers, citizens of the kingdom, who will work out his will in spite of the sinful leaders that, that are appointed over us. He is not using people like you. He's using you specifically. He's using you specifically in the context of the leaders that are appointed over you. So true, today we wait on the Lord to restore all things, but there is a promise. We need to obey the Great Commission, and that doesn't mean it's easy. It means that God uses hardship as well as blessing to use us in ways to advance the gospel in the four forward in the way it needs to be. So, um, as I finish up today, Jesus was once accused of casting out demons by the power of the devil. And there, there's so much theology in just a, a, such a, a short 
exchange, but uh, a couple things I want you to see. So in that exchange, he, uh, he makes a profound statement that's easy to miss. Uh, if your ears aren't tuned to the gospel of the kingdom, which I hope from today forward, they will be if they weren't already. Jesus tells all who are listening that it's by the power of the Spirit of God, not Satan, that he's able to drive out demons. And then he says one more thing. He says, but if by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom has come, not will come. Has come. Not 2,000 years from there, then, after some cataclysmic event, it has come now. So the band's going to come up. Um, I hope you'll grab one of these sermon notes, and I, and I hope uh, you'll talk with your, your family today, and hopefully your GCs later this, this week, um, and spend a few minutes examining the leaders in your life. Every single one of you has an authority in your life. I mean, none of you are the Pope. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you have somebody over you. So take a few minutes. Um, give yourselves that five minutes to complain about that person. Get it all out. But then let's do something more constructive. Let's, let's move past it and start to look at the situation that is unique to you and consider what can be done in the context of Romans 13, to pay honor, to pay respect, to serve well. I think uh, I almost included the story of Joseph. Read the story of Joseph um, and, and look, look at how a, a God can take a snot-nosed kid and run him through the ringer and at every, every hardship in his life, uh, give him the opportunity to serve well and be put in a position to then minister to people. Maybe that's what's been missing. Maybe you say, well, how, how do I start a ministry in my life? Well, guys, you're already in it. You're already in that ministry. Look at the doors that God is opening for you through the context of the authorities that God has put over your, over your life. And once you've ID'd those authorities, start talking with your friends and your family and God about what's to be done about it. Make a plan. How are you going to approach each day? How do, how do I approach each day? leaving space to do something for God when God opens that door. So as we come to communion today, um, I want to remind you that uh, you know, it's, it's a special time when we remember what Christ has done for us. Um, his body being represented by the bread broken for us and his blood shed being represented by the wine. Now let's remember that he was raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, he declared his kingdom, and he declared who his ministers of that kingdom were going to be. And remember that when we take that gospel call into our places of business, into our communities, into our families, we are communing in that call with Christ. So giving is also part of our worship. Uh, there are offering boxes in the back. You can give online on the website. Um, you know what Romans 13 says about that. Pay, pay honor to whom honor is owed. Pay taxes to whom taxes is owed. I'm sure that's going to be part of your discussion at your GCs. But uh, just another way to worship God. So um, I know this, this preparing the sermon has caused me to self-examine um, how I've used the opportunities and how I've related to the leaders and how my behavior might not be the most honoring to God at all times. Um, so I, I, hope, I hope this has been beneficial for you. But let's take it to God in prayer. 
Father God, um, it's, it's difficult to say sometimes, but thank you for the authorities that you have put in our lives, Lord. Thank you for a government that is, that is over us, that is, that is your minister, um, in, a way, in ways we might not understand, but, but we can trust you that that minister will do exactly what you have ordained for them to do in order to accomplish your purposes, Lord. Let us uh, walk that, that fine line of citizens of the kingdom and, and, um, and Americans uh, under our government to bring you honor always, Lord. Uh, in all things, don't sin um, as, we, as we seek to work in the system uh, that you have instituted. You are holy and your ways are holy, Lord. Um, just we, we give you honor for the blessings that you've given us today. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen.